Sometimes, when struggling, you need a tangible reminder that you're not alone. You Don't Fight Alone offers the YDFA kit, a small set of items for comfort, grounding, and serenity. Visit ydfa.org kits to get your own completely free YDFA kit. Please be advised. We will be discussing subjects that may not be suitable for all audiences and will include subjects that some will find challenging, traumatic, or triggering. Welcome to You Don't Fight Alone, a podcast sharing the stories of those of us successfully living with mental illness and how we got here. My rock bottom, huh? I think, um, and it wasn't, it wasn't that moment when I had those uh, suicidal thoughts, right, the ideation. I don't think that was my rock bottom. The rock bottom came after, when I sought that help, which is kind of interesting to think. Once I got help and I was seeing a therapist uh, on campus and I was still holding on to all these badges I had of my kind of pride with the internship, the jobs, the school, the really busy pack schedule that I wore as a badge of productivity. Um, And I I really couldn't handle it. I wasn't in the state of mind to be able to take on these things. And so when I transitioned into clinical care at my local hospital, um, the therapist said, hey, like, it'd be a good idea for you to go bare bones and just work on yourself right now and focus on graduating school, finishing this last semester. And so I said, okay, but really reluctantly, I didn't want to let go of all these things I worked for. And then one day I just had to, because I couldn't, I wasn't sleeping. I wasn't in a state of mind to be able to process all these things I was doing. And so I um, reached out to my school and they helped me. They said, um, you know, we'll call your internship. Uh, You know, you can take a break from your job. Your schedule will be bare bones. So I was working with professors to catch up on the work I was missing. And that for me was my rock bottom because even though I was getting the help I needed, I hadn't fully accepted that I needed to help myself. What then happened? Oh, a spiral of a lot of darkness happened for me. In that rock bottom, um, I became so lost in the thoughts um, that inherently the depression I was experiencing and the anxiety and the panic attacks became so traumatic because of the judgment I had towards myself. I saw this as a failing of myself. How could I, the person who had just come back from DC from a very prestigious program and was on the track to be a journalist and maybe a political reporter, and had all these things, how could I be in a place where I couldn't even stand to look at myself in the mirror? Where even the idea of trying to write another story, you know, as I was doing in the the internship and stuff and trying to keep up my thesis, that would launch me into panic and I'd find myself on the bathroom floor sobbing. Where I wasn't sleeping and um, because the things were so distorted in my mind and were so dark, and I didn't know how to show others that I was truly suffering, that I would punch the insides of my arms to elicit kind of this, see the bruises that would pop up and feel something because I felt so numb. And that for me took me to a place that is so dark 
that I'd never understood a person could go there. I was the person, this is funny, I was the person before who said, oh, depression, like I've never, like who experiences depression? Who experiences anxiety to the extent where you have to take medication? Um, I was dismissive, I didn't understand it, I wasn't in touch with my feelings. Everything was bottled up. And so for that cap to come off the bottle, it had to do so in a very dramatic fashion. And so it took me to like, you gotta feel this stuff. You really have to feel the stuff that's coming up for you. And it was a hard place to come out of. And I went there many times through through my healing. And um, it's just a reminder of those lows, but you can come out of those lows and ride the wave up as well. Trejo and I've been diagnosed with depression and anxiety as well as panic disorder. It started when I was a senior in college in my last semester. I began to feel not so good and things were popping up for me and I was experiencing anxiety like I'd never experienced before. And a sort of dread came over me um, in in my day-to-day life. The things that I was doing just didn't seem appealing anymore. My work, uh, my connections, my friends, um, my, my work at school. And so I sought help um, when I knew something was up. And it really was in a really small, cramped office with a school counselor Uh, like a school therapist at my university. And she said, you know, you are experiencing depression and anxiety. And that took me aback because I didn't want to accept that. It was very strange for me to, to hear those words come out of her mouth in regards to me. And, um, that led me to the journey where I met with other clinicians and finally got diagnosed with all with those two and the panic disorder. Uh, so at that point, Um, As I had done for the entirety of my young life, um, I was 22 years old. I was working, um, doing school, and uh, just trying to be as productive as I thought I could be. And I was working um, as an intern at a local newspaper in San Francisco at a business journal. And I was also finishing a thesis at school, doing all the things you do your senior year, um, as well as doing some other gigs and stuff. And leading up to that, I had just come back from a really great program in DC um, where I was interning on the Hill. And so my aspirations were high and I was just feeling so excited about life. And then all of a sudden, between coming back from that program and entering my, my final semester of senior year, I went on a downward trend. Some sort of spiral just overtook me where the things I thought I needed to do seemed like the hardest things ever. And I started to feel strange and I started to turn to some coping mechanisms and one of them was work. Um, And so whatever I was feeling inside, I masqueraded it by working and being productive because that's the only validation I knew how to get from others. And in the middle of, of all that, as I was working and doing all these things and trying to set myself on this trajectory of success and um, just doing really well, I couldn't stand it anymore. 
I was living this kind of false reality and wasn't in tune with what I was feeling. And the really significant moment for me where I said, I really need to get help was I used to commute to San Francisco um, by ferry, which is a wonderful way to commute. It's beautiful. You're on the bay and the water. And, um, you know, it's way better than being in a car. And I would be on this ferry or getting ready to go on it. And the thought would come to my mind. And it was very dark and very scary. And it was like, oh, you know, if I just jumped off the ferry, I wouldn't have to finish all these things I'm doing at work. I wouldn't have to worry about my thesis and worry about all these other things. And it was a very, like, very quick thought that would just pop in and out. Um, And it started to happen more frequently as I was going to go to work or coming back, walking from the financial district in San Francisco. There's these amazing large buildings that surround you. And I could think, oh, if I went to the top of it, I would jump, you know, really, really high up. And that would take me out. And so when those thoughts caught up to me, it was like, oh my gosh, like these aren't normal thoughts I'm supposed to be having. Like I'm supposed to be enjoying this experience. Um, And so that led me to one day before I went on the ferry, I called um, the counselor at my school. They had free uh, therapists available for students, um, a service I'd never used before in all my four years. And I called and I said, hey, I need to help. I need to talk to someone. And they got me in for the next uh, couple days, I think. And uh, it was funny. At that time, I was so busy. The only time I had to see a therapist was 7.30 a.m. on Thursdays. Um, <laughs> before my you know, workload of classes and um, the other days where I was just working a lot. And so that for me was the first step to actually talking to someone about what was going on. It took me a long time because there was coping mechanisms that weren't healthy for me. And so it was the, the self-harm. Um, it was uh, really staying in this very negative, cynical mind space. Um, and eventually it took just a lot of therapy, a lot of work and changing up my healing, um, you know, kind of, practices and removing the judgment that I had uh, just developed. And the the judgment was always there for me. I was always very hard on myself. Um, And I still, you know, there's parts, parts of me that still are, but as you know, speaking to you right now in this moment um, during this time, I can say that that judgment is a little more removed than where it was because I judged myself so hard for even the suffering that I experienced. And so um, eventually allowing myself to feel meant that I had to sit with those feelings and cry it out if I needed to and open up to people because I never knew how to do that before and accept like there are things that are hard in my life. And one thing that I really, really struggled with was accepting that we all go through hard things and not having to compare our suffering, right? this comparison of like, oh, well, she, you know, she's going through this. That's more severe. Um, But I needed to own, like, I went, I went through some hard stuff. And even though it might not seem as, you know, intense what another person was going through, that was my pain. And so owning that pain and sitting in it and knowing I could move on from it was the best way to feel that.
of of the people I have trusted to share my vulnerabilities with, the people who have earned that trust. So number one, my therapist, <laughs> uh, my psychotherapist who I see every week. Um, and second, I have an EMDR therapist. So I do another type of therapy um, every week or every two weeks. Um, and so both of them. Uh, then thirdly, you know, my my family, my mom especially, she is the one who picks up those late night calls of like, I have these things that are just coming up for me and I need to talk it out. Um, and uh, my dad and uh, my, my close friends, my close friends who have seen me at my worst um, and who have picked me up in my worst. And I was just talking to a, I have a mentor who, who helps me out a lot too. So uh, it's just a, a great circle of people who've come to kind of pick me up when I needed it. And uh, I was talking to, to my mentor and just realizing like the, when she's come and, you know, kind of picked me up and I see it as an image of, you know, I'll be on the ground, I'll be on that bathroom floor. Um, and someone will just come over and be like, hey, let's get up. And uh, another kind of image that came to me was this shelf. So in the free fall, where I was going through the depression and all the really hard things, there's points where people were shelves for me that caught me for a little bit, let me go a little bit and then caught me again. And then from the bottom, I was able to catch on, catch on to those shelves again and go back up. Um, and so just the people who've surrounded me who um, have expressed and shown so much kindness and so much acceptance, um, that I truly see all of them through the lens of gratitude and so much love. Yeah. They, uh, yeah, they, people, people showed up, people who I needed showed up for me. And in some moments, um, I wanted to push them away because I needed to feel those things, even though I didn't know, even though it was numb at times and it was really confusing and strange. Um, but every time I found myself going on the free fall, like someone came and offered like, hey, here's this. Here's this little shelf. So when you come back up and you're climbing back up, you can use it. And uh, yeah, it's just, it's just something that touches me every time I think about it. So this is very new to me, this exploration of my childhood. Um, and it comes from the EMDR. So EMDR is something called, um, that's the acronym for Eye Movement Desensitization and Reprocessing. And it is a very different type of therapy um, that focuses on target memories and um, processing things that were traumatic for you. And I was so hesitant to use the word trauma or traumatic relating to anything that I've experienced growing up. Um, because what I understood was I had an idyllic childhood. And I, I did, right? I had two loving parents, a loving a younger brother, grew up in a um, you know religious home. Um, my parents uh, kind of raised us Southern Baptist, <laughs> if you can imagine um, what that might look like. And that was part of my life, right? I was a good kid. I did things that I needed to do. I didn't get in trouble. I didn't go out and drink or smoke or do things. Um, I never had a rebellious teenage phase. Yet, 
things were pretty strict at home. And because of some of the things um, one of my parents experienced growing up, their um, kind of way of, of showing us that we needed to follow rules and do things at home was that if something was not pleasing to them, uh, they would kind of withdraw, withdraw from us. And for me especially, because uh, that was something that, that worked with me. And the things that I did, you know, to kind of that led to the withdrawal was um, you would think like, oh, she was out, you know, sneaking out at night. Um, it was like I didn't clean my room or I talked back and slammed a door or something. Um, and so that pattern became um, very common for me when I was younger. And I didn't know that, you know, your parents weren't supposed to do that. <laughs> um, and so for me, the way to get my parent to talk to me again, right, um, to kind of like be like, hey, like I'm actually going to talk to you, not withdraw from you, was to do whatever my power it was to seem like lovable. <laughs> um, and so I'd never, I'd never knew that that was something that affected me until recently in my healing and through EMDR and seeing that pattern become the life trap for me as an adult. If I did things that were not right, whether it was with a peer, with a friend, with um, a professor, a supervisor at an internship or a job, then I was terrified that they were going to withdraw from me. And so I lived my life on eggshells, walking on eggshells. I lived trying to please people and to um, get that, like, produce get that love or care or um, like acknowledgement and when suddenly the depression came up for me and the anxiety and I couldn't produce or do things it completely sunk me down even further my breakthrough um I can remember one specific session during my EMDR and I've struggled through EMDR. I will tell you, it has not been easy. It's probably the hardest thing I've ever done um, because, you know, it comes in conjunction with regular psychotherapy and other, you know, I was in an outpatient program last year and things, but just this culmination of healing and, and self-awareness. Um, and I was, you know, working through a really tough memory it was really traumatic and would, when I first started, would cause me to dissociate because I did not want to relive it. I did not want to be there in that uh, mind space. And we're working through it and something just washes over me. Usually it's like, usually the physical sensations are this tingling and uncomfortable feelings in my chest because of the anxiety and the panic. Um, but we're working through it and I can see this younger self, this 22-year-old me, this 21-year-old me, and I just felt so much love for her and offered her so much love because, and this is kind of weird because I'm talking about myself, <laughs> but because when I was that younger me a few years ago, I never felt that towards myself, right? I had these things, people were like, yeah, good job, keep it up, you know, but I never felt in my own body that I was worthy of loving myself. 
And when that came through with the session EMDR, where I could see myself after all of these really hard things, um, a lot of really dark places, and I could offer that hug, that warmth to myself, that for me was life-changing, absolutely life-changing. I visit this all the time um, when I do my EMDR, and I, I find myself wanting to spend more and more time with my younger self. Um, I would just tell her, like, you're worthy of just because you are alive, because you are on this planet. You don't have to go out and be some superhero, be 100% all the time. Um, you can just be you. And I would tell her that kind of like a warning almost, like things are going to be hard, you know, the depression had to happen for me. That stuff just had to happen. The anxiety, the panic. And I would tell her, you know, this stuff is coming up and don't judge, don't judge yourself so hard for it. Like it's going to make it harder. Um, you know, you will be in the cycle of panic. You will have suicidal thoughts. You will have really hard times. Um, and it's okay. It's just emotions that need to let be released. So I encourage, I would encourage her to feel and just be in tune with, with what's coming up for her, whether it's good stuff or bad stuff. Yeah. You know, I was the person who didn't understand the therapy, the, like, how could you get to that point where your mind would be so consumed by these things? And I would just tell other people that, it happens, it's real, and it's not, you know, you didn't cause it. It's not your fault. Um, it's just something that happens, and there's different reasons, right? Traumatic experiences, um, who we are, our biology, our makeup, we don't know exactly. Um, but I would tell people to, to know that, you know, their feelings are okay their emotions, the wanting to cry over something that may seem small and insignificant, but that is just a response that you're having. Um, and, and to know that they're not alone, right? Um, to know that a lot of us experience this and it's inherently human to do so. And that when they're ready, like sharing and verbalizing and externalizing what's going on, what's going on, up in their mind, it's totally okay. You know, we're still a long ways away in our society from doing so like very openly and very frank. Um, but we're getting there, you know, that's what we're doing right now, but we're getting there. So I would just offer a lot of love and empathy to that person. The work has been very hard. <laughs> I think that's been the theme of every every question we've we've touched on. But um, the work is really difficult, and it's you know at times it's been gut wrenching and has taken me to lows again because there's there's my friend my best friend knows this. I call her and like I don't know if this is worth it. I was like I'm investing this money in the therapy and the EMDR and my time. 
And I don't know if this is worth it. Like I am visiting the trauma all this time. And here I am still, you know, complaining about the things that are hard and I can't stand. Um, but because the healing and the awareness happens so gradually, right, we have to be able to zoom out, use that lens and zoom out to see the grander scale of things. Um, and so for anyone who is working on themselves and um, part of that, you know, working on ourselves also extends to our relationships with others. And so that comes, you know, as a side effect, I guess I could say, um, just encouraging them to keep moving forward, take the break that you need, um, but keep moving forward because uh, on the larger scale, it does, it does change. It does um you do see the results. Understanding that I don't have to be 100% all the time to be loved or to be worthy of someone's time has absolutely changed me because not only did it help with external relationships, but it helped my own, my own relationship with myself. And seeing the different parts of me that... Um, you know, wanted to feel accepted and loved and cared for. And one, because of the pattern of when I saw I was younger, one of those voices became myself. I was so critical and to an extent I still am and I'm working on that, right? That is my, my journey now. Um, but that self-critique, that judgment, that really, um, like really, really like mean spirited person that I was to myself um, that has that has begun to change and so uh, like you mentioned you know I have a podcast and um, I, I produce and um, for me it's special because it's not um, you know I'm not writing for a publication for this to be seen by thousands I'm not um, trying to be the best you know whatever in my field um, I'm just telling my story and the stories of others who've also faced these really hard um, things with mental health and emotional health. And for me, like beyond that, the fact to be like to be sitting in front of this microphone talking to you guys, this, this computer and have this podcast be a thing that I do, um, I couldn't do this before because of how traumatic it was when I sunk into that first really really bad dark place like I couldn't sit down or write without having a panic attack and feeling like I was losing my mind um, I couldn't bear to look at pictures of myself when I was quote-unquote achieving and doing right like you know out in the field as a reporter and and doing stuff at school and getting the accolades and stuff I couldn't bear to stand that because it felt like because I had sunk down and struggled so much all those things had to disappear and so now I am reclaiming parts of my narrative, reclaiming the parts that were me, but with a different twist. Not for like, because I needed that to be worthy of love, but because it's something I actually like doing. <laughs> and it doesn't have to come with, you know, uh, praise and, and things like that. My podcast is called Take Care. It's found on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Uh, the Instagram for it is takecare.pod. Uh, you can also follow me on Twitter at takecare underscore pod or on Facebook at takecarepodcast.
For more information and to donate, please visit youdon'tfightalone.org. The You Don't Fight Alone podcast is a production of You Don't Fight Alone Incorporated, produced and engineered by James Fisher and Keaton Lycom. The information presented by You Don't Fight Alone is not intended as medical advice. If you have mental health questions, please talk to a mental health professional.